Powerful time of worship, church. Amen. Amen. As I told you a few moments ago, we are in the book of Jonah today, starting our four-week series on the book of Jonah, Compassionate God. And uh, I hope you've uh, had an opportunity to turn there. And while you're still getting there, um, I I mentioned earlier, I think you're going to see um, throughout this book over the next four weeks just how powerful, mighty, as we sang about this morning, uh, just how compassionate God is uh, to us, to, to Jonah, uh, even in the midst of uh, his disobedience at times, uh, to the, the sailors we're going to see today. It's just a powerful, uh, powerful story on the book of Jonah. Um, the book of Jonah, uh, it, it, it has a little bit of um, some opposition going back and forth between people. Some think maybe it's just a parable. Uh, some think that maybe it's just been um, just the true thing that has actually happened. People go to read this and they hear about a great fish swallowing a man and they're like, that's impossible. Uh, I would dare say nothing is impossible with God. Um, but uh, I cling to this as the inerrant word of God. And so we're going to treat this exactly uh, as it says before us. Uh, and, and Jonah is not some made-up character either. Uh, we see in the book of 2 Kings that he is a prophet. Uh, in 2 Kings 14, you don't have to turn there right now. You can make a note of that if you want to go see that. There's a reference in there of where he is um, speaking in that moment uh, and throughout the Old Testament in, in it's just, uh, it baffles me that some people would think maybe this is just something uh, that maybe never really happened. But uh, we're going to see here just the beautiful attributes of God and his compassion uh, throughout this story. So uh, as you're, uh, I hope you've got there, we're going to stand together as we honor the reading of God's word as we always do and look at the uh, chapter one of the book of Jonas. So let's stand together. The word of the Lord says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it for the evil that has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and he went down into it uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them, for them. Excuse me. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Then the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as always, we pray, Lord, that the proclaiming of your word would be blessed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time of worship we've had thus far, Lord, where we can cry out to you in song. Wonderful time of worship, Lord. And now as we continue in our worship to you, Lord, we look at your word and we proclaim it and we study from it, Lord, and we hear from it, Lord, today, right now, here in this place. So, Lord, as your word is being proclaimed, I pray that you be with me as I proclaim it. Lord, I'm a sinful man saved by your grace, and I thank you, Lord, that you've given me the opportunity to stand in this pulpit before these people that you've called us to. Lord, I pray, God, that your word would be proclaimed boldly through me. Let it be nothing of myself, Lord. Let it be all from you. May you get the glory in this place today. Lord, be with our other fellow congregations all around this community, this city, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be glorified in and through their services and that you would use them powerfully for the kingdom. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. We bless you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So from this passage today, we're going to see the sovereign, powerful work of God on display before us. We're going to see the compassion and mercy of God on display, even in the midst of, of some disobedience. I've entitled this message, Be Obedient, and I think you're going to see why if you haven't already picked up on that from our reading this morning. But looking at this, there are three different points that I want us to see, and the first is this. Disobedience to God leads to a rejection of God. Disobedience to God leads to a rejection of God. Look again at verse 1 and 2 with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. The word of the Lord has come to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. So Jonah is used to the word of the Lord coming to him. Established in 2 Kings, you can read where Jonah is doing just that. But Jonah has the word of the Lord come to him. Okay? And he tells him, and he says, it says there in the, in the writing that it's the son of Amittai. Now, there's something very fitting about that that I think will play out for us over we look at, as we look at this over the next four weeks. But that wording of son of Amittai means son of my faithfulness. So even in what we're seeing in Jonah's disobedience in this moment, God is still going to use him for an exact purpose that he has. And it's going to be for God's faithfulness. It's going to be used for God's glory. He's going to be used as a sign of God's faithfulness to the Ninevites. Verse 2 says that God tells Jonah, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come upon me. For evil has come before me, excuse me. God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach out. When it says call out there, he's saying to preach out against the sin that is running rampant there in Nineveh. He wants him to go and proclaim the good news of God. He wants him to know that your sin is running rampant and it's wrong. You need to repent. 
Now, in case you're wondering, in Nineveh, just to give you a quick geography lesson, you can think of it where uh, it is right off of the opposite side of the Tigris in the current day uh, Iraq, Middle East, okay, Moscow area, okay, just to kind of think in your mind where we're talking about in this story when we say Nineveh. Nineveh was also the capital of Assyria uh, at this time, and it was, it was the case for much of the ninth, uh, excuse me, the seventh century BC all the way to the ninth. And in 612, it was destroyed, okay? So just give you a really quick history lesson on that part, just to give you some backstory on Nineveh and what we're talking about. But we see elsewhere in scripture, particularly in Nahum, the book of Nahum, where the Lord's justice is being played out on Assyria. Nahum 3.18 says, your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber, your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. This is to establish the fact that the monarchy has been destroyed in Assyria. Now, just a few scripture uh, verses ahead of that, in Nahum 3, 1 through 4, it says, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies, and plunder no end to the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies, all for the countless whoring of the prostitute graceful and of deadly charms who betrays nations with their whorings and people with her charms. As we can see here, there's a lot of sin and evil that is taking place in Nineveh. So that is why God is calling Jonah to go out and do this. He's established before him. He says, I want you to go, go now. And look at verse three. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it and with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Verse three tells us that Jonah doesn't want to do what God tells him to do. Now you're going to see later on throughout this book study that Jonah's heart for why he's wanting to not do this is on full display But he obviously has an issue with going to Nineveh. He has an issue with going to those people. These are pagan people. These are Gentiles. These are not the people of Israel. He's he's not wanting to go and do this to them. Jonah, he deliberately disobeys God and he flees. Now what is very amusing and sad in the same instance is he thinks that he can get away from the presence of the Lord. He thinks that he can actually flee from God. This is a prophet of God. Yet he thinks that if I go here to Tarshish, as far away as possible from Nineveh, God's not going to be there and I'm scot-free. For us that have the word of God and we see it all laid out before us from beginning to end, we know that that's a silly thing for him to think. We, we should think that that's a silly thing for him to think as well because he's a prophet of God. Yet Jonah, in his sin and disobedience, says, no thanks, God. Stiff arm, I'm going this way. He's deliberately disobedient to God. He's not just running away from a problem. He's saying, no, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. Leave me be, I'm going over here. 
These prophets are supposed to stand in the presence of the Lord, seek him, hear from him, so that they can proclaim it to the people. And yet this man does not want to do what he's called to do. I want us to think about that for a moment. God has deliberately told a very distinctive divine plan that he has for Jonah. He wants him to go specifically to the Ninevite people and call out against their sin. Call out against it. Jonah wants nothing to do it, so he says, no, God, and he away. Think about that in our own personal lives. Think about that in any time that God has called us to do something. God may be calling some of us to do something right now. He may be putting something on our heart for us to listen to, and he's telling us to take a step of faith and trust him in it. And for whatever reason, whether it be fear, whether it be doubt, whether it be pride, I don't know what it may be, but it's sin. We say, no thanks, God. I'm not doing that. I'm going to run from that. Think about that as a congregation. Are we completely doing what God is calling us to do next? As a congregation, together, as a body of believers here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, if God calls us to take a step of faith and trust him in something that is next for us, will we say, no, thanks, God, and give him a stiff arm, or will we say, yes, Lord, I'm all in, let's do it? Because, see, when we get into the New Testament, we see where Paul is writing And you've heard me reference it several times in the last several months when I've preached. But Paul writes and he says, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's a call as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you identify yourself as a saved follower of Jesus, your call is to be obedient in everything that God says for you to do. The same is true for myself. And if we do not want to do the things that God tells us to do, whether it's be called to something very specific and we say, Lord, I can't do that. This one's not even on the screen, but you think about this. God just hit me with this. Think about Moses. God calls Moses to go and to lead the people. And Moses says, I can't even speak. I can't speak publicly. I can't do this. And God says, go. And thankfully, Moses goes. God uses us despite the things that we see as issues. He uses us in our weakness. God tells Jonah to go. He says, no, I'm fleeing from you. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to Tarsus, away from those people because I want nothing to do with them. How many times have we told God no? Are we telling God no right now? Think about that. I'm not trying to condemn anybody or make anybody feel bad about anything or anything that's going on in your life. But as I was preparing for this lesson, God put on my heart two months ago the book of Jonah when we talked about sabbaticals. And as I've been preparing for this, I have had to preach this to myself like any other sermon that I preached before you. And God has dealt with me on things in my heart. I have to trust the Lord and be obedient to what he's calling me to. The same is true for all of us. The second thing we can see in this passage is that disobedience to God has consequences. Disobedience to God has consequences. Look at verse four. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. We're taken to a different scene now in the story. Jonah has now gotten onto the ship and he's, he's on there and the Lord has hurled a great wind to come upon it. And the tempest of the sea is now raging. Again, Jonah has done so to get away from the presence of the Lord, or so he thinks. Now remember, in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, 7 through 10, the psalmist writes, Where should I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, then there, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. Our God that we serve is omnipresent. He's there every single day, every moment. He's here right now. He's over at friendship as they're gathering. He is omnipresent. Hallelujah. We don't serve some false God that these mariners are crying out to. We serve the God of heaven. We serve Yahweh. We serve the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea that is raging for Jonah here in this story. This is our God. This is the God that Jonah is called to serve, and yet he's being disobedient. And we must note here that it says God hurled a wind on the sea. You're going to see here throughout the rest of this sermon in this passage that God initiates things. It shows the mighty power and strength of our God that we serve. He is sovereign God over all things. This is the mighty God who spoke it all into existence and created everything. Now, in verse, the first part of verse 5, it tells us that these sailors, they start to freak out because this storm is getting rough. These waves are beating upon the ship. They are afraid, and they cried out to his own God. Now, we know that by crying out to their own God, nothing is going to be accomplished because they're crying out to air. They're not crying out to the living God. They're not crying out to the I am. They're not crying out to Yahweh, the one true only God. They're just crying out to their little gods that they have. Nothing is going to save them in that regard. And it says they also lighten the load on the ship. Now, they're thinking as true mariners, and they're using their brains, and they're saying, wait a minute, if we get the things that are on this ship off, it'll lighten the load, it'll raise us on the water a little bit, we'll be okay, maybe that will help. So they start to throw everything overboard. They start to throw over their livelihood. They throw over the goods and things that they are going to use to sell to make profit to continue to live. But at this moment, they don't care about that. All they care about is making it out alive. So they throw everything overboard and they're crying out to their own God. Fear has struck them. But as all of that chaos is going on upstairs, look at the second part of five. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. You gotta be kidding me. All this is happening because of this guy he gets on the boat, he goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he says, man, I'm going to sleep. And he's asleep, and all of this stuff is going on. 
I told you at the beginning of this point that disobedience to God has consequences. You could fill in disobedience to God with sin. Sin has consequences. In this moment, Jonah is being disobedient to God. He has fleed from God. He's gotten on the boat. He's gone down, and he's, he's staying away from the Lord, so he thinks. And while this is happening, all of the guys that are on the upper deck are freaking out, throwing away all of their stuff, thinking that they're about to die. Jonah's sin and his disobedience has brought consequences upon everybody that's on that boat, which is a very applicable point for each and every one of us. If we have sin in our life, Pastor Troy preached a phenomenal message on sin last week. You should go back and listen to it if you weren't here. If we have sin in our life, unrepented sin in our life, you better rest assured that it's going to bring about destruction and consequences, but it's also going to affect the people that are around you. If there's unrepented sin in your life, then the people that you love dearly and that are around you, they are naturally going to be affected by that sin. Your workplace is going to be affected by that sin at some point. And sadly, your church is going to be affected by that at some point. Sin is destructive. It is wrong. It is not of anything of God. Therefore, that is why we must repent of sin. Repent of it, turn of it, and run away from it. Our sin is going to cause destruction. It's going to affect people around us. It has affected these men because of what is happening on the boat because of Jonah's disobedience. We see there also when it says that he goes down, we see goes down a couple of different times in this passage so far. In verse three, it says that he goes down to Joppa. And it says then also here in verse five that he was down in the inner part of the boat. And scholars will, will, will say that there is a euphemism in there and it's, it's just to represent death. He's continually going down and going down to represent being away from God. He is trying to be completely away from God, this getting away from the presence of God. He wants nothing to do with it. So that is why he's continually going down. It's, it, it's the same instance of somebody that doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, that denies the Lord, that doesn't want to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What is their end result? Their end result is death. Eternal separation from God. This disobedience of Jonah, it has consequences. Verse six says that, so the captain came in and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. The captains realized, my God ain't cutting it. Their God ain't cutting it. Hey, why are you down here asleep? You obviously think that everything's gonna be fine. Call out to your God. See if he'll do something for us. Now we can read that and we can see it and we can say, wait a second. Obviously, this, this pagan sailor, this captain, he doesn't know Yahweh, but he's at least putting some pieces together. Man, maybe your God, maybe your God can save us. Call out to him. See if he'll do something for us. And you notice there also, it's very fitting that the sailor, the captain says, call out to your God. It's almost as if those words are haunting Jonah. Because you remember back in verse 2, God said, go to Nineveh and call out against it. I think it's just another little subtle, subtle reminder from God 
of what he's called him to. Verse 7 tells us that they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has been done. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. If you have any kind of history with, with, with uh, church or um, knowing the word or studying the word, you know when we, when we read the word casting lots, it means that they were doing this to try to get some kind of divine um, direction or revelation in them to see what needs to be done. So they, they know that something is up. They know that, man, there is something going on. There's a reason why this is happening. Our gods aren't doing anything for us. What are we going to do? Let's cast lots to see whose fault this is. And they cast the lots, and it falls upon Jonah. So verse 8, he gets hit with a lot of questions. Verse 8, they say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They want to know, what in the world did you do to cause this to us? In verse 9, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And you got to think there in that moment, those sailors are like, oh boy. Because Jonah's established the fact to them that I am a Hebrew. Which if anybody said, I am a Hebrew, that establishes to any other person's mind and they hear that, they're like, oh, you're from Israel. And then Jonah says that I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Can you imagine being one of those sailors on that boat in that moment? Wait a second. You serve the God that created the water and the dry land? And now all this stuff's happening? Dude, what did you do? You know, they, they got to be like worrying, like, like what in the world is going on? And verse 10 tells us, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah tells them that he's trying to get away from God. Scripture tells us that. He tells them that I'm trying to flee from the Lord. By the way, I serve the God. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God that created all this and I'm trying to get away from him. Well, of course this is happening. And it says that they're exceedingly afraid. Verse 11 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. These sailors ask him, Jonah, dude, what, what can we do to make this stop? If you truly serve this God, what can we do to make it stop? And Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it'll stop. And you can read that and you can say, man, that is a very selfless act of Jonah. Throw him overboard and everything will be fine. These guys will be taken care of. But you also have to stop and think for a moment. And I don't want to play too much into it, but just stop and think. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord because he doesn't want to do what God has told him to do. So in his disobedience, in his sin, he's thinking, stow me overboard and it'll be done. It's kind of a sad place to be if you're Jonah in that moment. But you know that Jonah at least knows that God will truly fix this in some way, shape, or form because he says, throw me overboard and this will stop for you. 
Jonah recognizes the powerful presence of God. Last thing, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So not only does our disobedience cause us to be disobedient to God, which can also lead to a rejection of God. Jonah did that. Not only does our disobedience to God have consequences, we have those things that we've established, but, but, even in the midst of that, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Look at 13. 13 tells us, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The sea continually did this. These men hear Jonah say that. They're like, man, we're not going to throw you overboard. Guys, let's row harder. Let's do this. Come on, come on. And the more and more they do it in their own might, in their own strength, in trying to do this, the sea continues to get more and more tempestuous. God is saying, no, Jonah, you will not make it to dry land. You are continually running from me. You are continually being disobedient. I am Yahweh. You will obey me. And then 14 tells us, therefore, they called out to the Lord. These pagan Gentiles come to the point where they call out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Wow. These guys get on the boat with Jonah, and they don't realize by the time they get done with their boat ride, that they truly know Yahweh. This disobedience of Jonah, although destructive, was still used for God's glory because these pagans cry out to God. Can you imagine the scene, the moment that Jonah goes overboard? It says that the waves stopped. Became very peaceful, almost probably an eerie silence. And 16 tells us the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Notice here in verse 5, it says that they feared the storm. Verse 10, that they exceedingly fearful of what Jonah had done. Both of those are terror. But the first part of 16, it says that they now fear the Lord with great fear. Now, in case I didn't establish it earlier, remember this. We can say that we fear the Lord, and that word can be translated as worship. We worship Lord. We worship the Lord, the God of heaven. But that word fear, as we've established previously, that word fear is also to represent a fearful reverence to God. A fearful reverence. It now says that these sailors fear God. They worship God. They have been transformed because of what they've experienced and seen in this moment by the God of heaven. And it says that they make vows to him and they worship him. 
Now, in my study, Jay Sklar, that's uh, one of the scholars that commentary of, that I was studying through, he says in this quote, Jonah's claim to fear the Lord was shallow and hollow from verse 9. The fear of the Lord is deep and real for these men. Because you've got to remember, Jonah says in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who created the sea and the dry land. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not diving way deep into that and thinking, oh, well, maybe Jonah. No, but he was a prophet of the Lord. He was just indwelling in his sin of disobedience in that moment. And he said that. Now think about this for a moment. When we read the gospel accounts with Jesus, right before Jesus is crucified, you remember those religious leaders that wanted nothing to do with Jesus and they wanted him to be gone? They were doing everything they could to hold up to the law. They didn't like what Jesus was saying because he was breaking the law. But Jesus was coming in to proclaim the fact that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He says that I am the son of God. These religious leaders at that time, they spoke all the right things with their mouth, but their hearts were not good. Jonah in this moment says that I fear the God of heaven who created the sea and the dry land. But his actions of his heart are not living up to what he is saying. Really something that we should really think about individually, corporately as a body of believers. Remember the things that we say, pray that they are truly reflective of what we truly believe and submit to in obedience to God. Reminds me of Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When we fear the Lord in holy reverence that He deserves, it is the beginning of wisdom for us. We will grow deeper in our understanding of Him. He will reveal Himself so much more to us. When we come before Him, we submit to His authority and we say, Lord, whatever you have, let it be. I am yours. 17 ties a lot more into the beginning of two, and we'll look at that next week. But 17 says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Again, we see the Lord appointed. Again, the power of God. Jonah, you've been thrown overboard. Yes, I've caused the sea to stop. But this great fish is coming to swallow you. You're going to stay in its belly three days and three nights. And you're still going to do what I told you to do. Because God's will will be done. God will be glorified. We may stumble, we may fall, we may mess up, but ultimately God will have his will be done because he is sovereign God over the every single thing. We submit to him. He is our God. We've seen in this passage today just how great our God is. He, rule over, he rules over all things. He's sovereign. Thus, we should honor him and we should fear him reverently. Ben, you can come forward. We cannot run from the Lord. In fact, I would say, why would we want to? He's omnipresent. He is God Almighty who created everything. Why would we want to run from him? He's actually promised us at the end of the Great Commission when he tells us to go and to take the gospel to make disciples, he tells us at the end, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We cannot flee from God. He is with us until the end. 
That should make us want to stand and say hallelujah. That we have a great God that loves us that much. Now, I don't know where you sit today in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you truly know him as Lord and Savior. I don't know if you don't have a clue what that means. But I will tell you this. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you identify yourself and you say that you're a follower of him, but you feel like you've been running from the Lord on something, or you feel like you've been disobedient, or there's sin in your life you need to repent of, you don't need to keep harboring that. Give it to the Lord, repent, and be used by him for his glory wherever he tells you to go, whatever he tells you to do. If you do not know this Jesus, I can very quickly tell you that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the apostle Paul writes and he says that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God Almighty, knowing the sin that was in us that separated us from God, at the right appointed time sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary that was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life. He set a perfect example that we read in the Gospels. And then just as I mentioned a moment ago, he was betrayed by one of his followers for 30 pieces of silver, was taken to a trial that should have never happened. It was illegal. He was an innocent man. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was nailed to a cross, and he died. But when he died, he was taken off of that cross, he was put into a tomb that was borrowed, not even his own tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave, and he's ascended at the right hand of God, and he's coming back. And God did all of that to give us, to proclaim with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, promises us salvation. So when we hear 521, it says that he became sin. Jesus became sin. Jesus didn't sin, but our sin was laid on him. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that when God looks on us, we are justified. He looks on us and he says, Brian is covered because of the blood of my son. My prayer is that is for you as well. I'm gonna be here as the band sings. They're gonna sing a, a, a beautiful hymn, I Surrender All. My prayer is that you would surrender all if you have not. Whether you're a follower of Jesus and you're just going through the motions and you haven't truly surrendered, I pray that you would. Or if you have never given your life to Jesus, that you would truly surrender to him and say, Lord, here's my life. Take it.